Hello, Adulting Well listeners. This is Pepper, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor. And what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show. So you can see, you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So, for instance, we can have polls. We can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just uh, that's just one example. But there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So uh, this is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, And if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, Thanks for uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Adulting Well Podcast. I am your host, Joshua, and I am joined, as always, by Kevin. And we are playing The Clash tonight to give a shout-out to Beto O'Rourke and his uh, reference to the Clash song, Clampdown. Very tall man. Very tall man. Very tall man. Very tall man who knows his punk rock history, which makes me feel really good about his candidacy, whether he wins or not. Uh, Tonight, we're joined by Walter Glasser, and I couldn't be more excited. Um... So we're going to start with Joshua's short story and a question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So what I, I was thinking about, we've done two shows so far, so we don't really know what we're doing yet, mm-hmm. right? And um, But a, a common thing... I haven't figured out what I'm doing yet either. Well, that, yeah, I think that's... that's <laughs> it's the, been 51 years. Huh? Same, same. <laughs> so so a punk has been a theme in our, in our shows and punk backgrounds, and... Um, and for me, I was thinking about how lucky I am to have found punk for me personally, because um, with everything going on with Gamergate and the alt-right and the trolls and those kinds of mean, angry men and kids, I think when I was in my teens, I would have been very susceptible to that stuff. Like, there was a time when I remember buying a bomber jacket because I thought those guys looked pretty cool in those bomber jackets, and I didn't really understand but I was really angry and lost, and I think I would have, I could have been on that the wrong side if I hadn't have ran into the friends and the people that I ran into. So, you know, I thought maybe I just want to start with like how you got into punk in the first place. Okay, yeah. Um, so I grew up in uh, Marin County, California, which is about 15 miles north of San Francisco, um, which is, you know, it's a suburban area. Oh, sorry about that. Suburban area. Um, Just push it. Oh, towards me? Yeah. Okay. Um, su- suburban area, kind of mostly white, middle class, upper middle class. You know, it's the boring suburbs, you know, where lots of us kids le- lived. Um, I was pretty misanthropic. <laughs> I, I don't think, um, how did I find punk rock was basically through my older brother, who was four years older than me. 
um, it seemed like it's, it's kind of a funny story. It seems like he was a total, really, really good skateboarder. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like one week he was listening to Ted Nugent when Ted Nugent was good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not politics, just music, just music. And then the next day, I felt like there was some music coming out of his room, and I'm like. I didn't even know what it was. I was like, what is this? This is horrible. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't, I, I did I had no, I, there's no way, whoops, sorry. There's no way to like wrap your head around it. It's just like. This isn't Stranglehold. Yeah, exactly. This isn't Cat Scratch Fever or whatever. And, um, you know, it was punk. It was something. It was like the Sex Pistols or something like mm-hmm. that. And I was like, wow, this is like really, really weird. This doesn't sound like other types of rock music I've heard. And then kind of simultaneously at a neighbor who had Showtime. If you remember Showtime, I'm going to do a lot of air quotes oh, yeah. in this interview. Um, and he's like, hey, do you want to come over and watch this funny movie called Rock and Roll High School? It has this band, The Ramones. <laughs> They're great. really stupid and they eat pizza. I was like, that sounds great. <laughs> so it was sort of this harmonic convergence of all those things. Um, and I was already a weird kid. Like mm-hmm. I always was a wise ass and... A smart ass and had a good sense of humor and was weird, but it was, was just weird at the same time. So punk kind of was like, oh, you can go there and be weird. Yeah. And, you know, it's a little more accepted. Right. Um, You're not ostracized. It's, it's the opposite. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's like, oh, you can, whatever, wear the weirdest clothes you can. And way back then in like, whatever, 1983, it would still be punk. You know, <laughs> you could wear your dad's jacket and the purple t-shirt with big green dots all over it. And that would still be punk, you know. So... Um, yeah, so That's now, awesome. yeah, with the alt-right thing, it never, never had a big appeal for me. <laughs> my, uh, to, if you want to take it back, my, both my parents are European citizens and they actually fled Germany and Belgium from the Nazis. Right, so right. if I became a white supremacist, my parents would have beat the, f- <laughs> I probably wouldn't be alive right now. They'd be right. like, you know, right. they killed members of my family, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it was never, and it wasn't really... I mean, there were skinheads, but... It, it I think just... you could substitute it for uh, any kind of, uh, like, less healthy uh, right. identity. Yeah, you know? right, right. Well, well, I think, too, I mean, there were definitely skinheads mm-hmm. in the 80s mm-hmm. in the Bay Area, but mm-hmm. we've, we've covered that extensively, I feel like. Yeah. But, I mean... They I love I'm our cur- Facebook page. Yeah, they do. Oh, <laughs> I've, I've, been leaving, I've been leaving people alone the last few weeks because we haven't been on. But after this interview, we're gonna I'm gonna do a little ad buy and we'll yeah. see what happens. So, um, especially, you know, I'm sure there'll be some interesting comments. But um, mm. talk to us a little bit about that. Like, what was it like in Marin County in like 1983 in the punk scene? Um, well, punk rock was at that time was it was basically unknown. Like people didn't know right. what it was. So it's like. Pre Green Day, pre Internet, pre all those things, so it was people didn't know what it was, and they would see me, and I would have like short hair and wearing like whatever a whatever X Y some punk band T shirt, you know, and they would be like, "What are you? Are you gay?" <laughs> you know, right. like they would just they didn't they, they, people had no grasp. We'd be like, "Oh, do you like Devo? Is that what you are?" You know, and I'd just be like, "Yeah, Devo's fine," you know, and. You know, when you in you know punk rockers at that time were persecuted, so it's kind of right. like, why do you cut your hair short? But you know, you throw food at you, you know, get kind of the whole, you know, what are you expletive, expletive? I'm, you know, the jock gets you in the headlock, you know, all yep. that kind of stuff. So, um, but you know, that being said, there was still like an amazing community of people, and it was a small like you saw a punk rocker and you're like, oh my god, like. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm going through, and I know what you're going through because this sucks, you yeah. know. Um, so there was really it wasn't like it wasn't as large and maybe not as 
I don't want to say not as diverse. It's just like now you see a punk rocker, you could like, oh, that guy could be the biggest asshole in the world. <laughs> and I might right. hate that guy's guts, but, you know, way back then it was more like, oh, like you and I have something in common because you know who Minor Threat is, you know, and it's 1983, you know, mm-hmm. in June. And the fact that you know that and you were one of the 1,000 people who got the record, <laughs> you know, you knew that there was, you know, you knew you had something in common on some level. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I, like for me, I can say too, it, you know, music as a whole, but punk rock really kind of probably saved my life. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know really anything else, you mm-hmm. know, especially uh, in the kind of rougher high school days, mm-hmm. you know, and I grew up in Sonoma County mm-hmm. and you can only, you know, you can, you can add probably times a hundred to the redneck factor right, up right. there. That's true. You know, although I was corrected on using the word redneck the other day because it okay. actually comes from the Southerners that supported unions, they oh. wore red handkerchiefs oh. around their necks. Oh, okay. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, I got duly, corrected. Duly it's noted. In the new Michael Moore film, apparently. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I think uh, one of the things that's really interesting is that camaraderie. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like it really affected, and, and this speaks to kind of your experience when you started connecting with people in the, like, San Francisco and Berkeley area, probably, around... Um, uh, this idea that these bands kind of belong to us, mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. some way, like they were, yeah. you know, they spoke for us yeah. and they were, you know, they were like singing our anthems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as, as time went on, you know, the signings to major labels and other things we, I've always found really sad, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I, uh, I'm curious how you got involved with things like maximum rock and roll and, um, especially, uh, you know, Gilman Street, like where did mm-hmm. that connection occur? And, and, you know, because we've talked about Tim Yohannan on this show mm-hmm. uh, with Martin mm-hmm. in our last episode, and I know Martin is your best friend. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, how did that kind of happen? Where, where did you find your people? Because you did a lot of work around like getting an all ages venue and doing the things that led up to it, including mm-hmm. being part of MRR, writing for MRR, mm-hmm. and then also probably, I would assume, working with the record label and the other stuff that Tim mm-hmm. did. Yeah. I blame Martin Sprouse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was. Uh, so my brother, uh, to go back a little bit, my brother went to college in San Diego and I was, he's four years older than me. So I was still in the high school. I would fly down and visit him every once in a while. And Martin lived in San Diego and he was doing leading edge. So right. my brother was a punk rocker down there, met Martin, you know, Oh, Martin puts on shows and is at every show, whatnot. He's like, Oh, you should meet this guy, Martin. I met Martin. I think it was at a suicidal tendencies and ill repute show in, I don't even know, eighty three or four or something like that. Um, so I met him and then once he moved up here to do maximum, um, Tim had been talking to him about, Hey, we need someone to do cassette reviews, demo tapes. Um, basically, do you know anybody? And he's like, how about Walter? <laughs> that was, that was my, that was my resume and application process. I'm just like, Oh, I don't know. Sure. I guess I'll do it. It wasn't. Do you a- remember your first review? No, I did so many. Uh, I did so many. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I would do like 20 a week. There would be like just the sheer volume. I think that's why they were like, we need someone really dumb to do this. Like someone who will say yes, you know, (laughs) because it was a lot. Um, Well, I'm sure they got a ton of. Like yeah, submissions, everybody, everybody, everybody like, sent every, MRR. I sent everything. To MRR. I probably everything. did. I probably reviewed your tape. Yeah. Probably <laughs> if it was between like eighty-five and ninety, whatever, three or something like that. Um, so definitely, you know, I met Tim. You know, I, I did the radio. I met Ruth, Jeff, all the kind of you know the Steve Spinelli, all the original Maximum people. Um, and then you know, it's it's in the Bay Area, or you know, in the Bay Area, we're kind of spoiled because there's this. 
you know, Maxim Rock and Roll was already this thing and it generated some money. So they had money to do things. So if, um, if, you know, you could just be a part of it. I mean, if, if you know, whatever you could, I just started doing being part of all their projects. They're like, you want to be on the radio show? Sure. I wouldn't be on the radio. Why not? So you could be like as involved as your bandwidth, like as much kind. as you wanted to kind of. Yeah. I mean, as going. long as like, I mean, maybe if I was like totally obnoxious, sure. <laughs> well, I am, but in a bad way, um, you know, so I was involved in, you know, doing reviews, interviews, the radio show. You know, I was involved with Gilman. I was actually trying to remember back. I, I think, it's funny, there was a story about Gilman. I think my brother and I borrowed my mom's car, and she had a 67 Ford LTD Country Squire <laughs> um, station, wagon? station wagon. And I think we actually picked up a bunch of the lumber for Gilman in my mom's car without her knowing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I like, returned her car. She's like, why is there sawdust all over my car? We're like, eh, don't worry about it. So when you're <laughs> getting Gilman started, you're working it for MMR, like all these bands are around, like all this is happening. Are you, I always wonder this, like, and I'm sure I know the answer already, but at the time, are you thinking, oh, there's going to be books written about this time. There's going to be movies made about this time. This is a special time. Not, um, More than not like, really. Because everybody kind of thinks that Not on that the level. Not, not like, right. if people said, like, there's going to be a movie about Gilman Street and that's going to play in movie theaters, uh-huh. I'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, because, you know, I don't know. You're doing it and you're kind of inside of it. Yeah, that's what I imagine. And... I mean, you know it's a cool thing, because it's like, wow, every band, like, Soulside's playing, and Ignition's playing, and, like, whoever, Fugazi's playing at, you know, the club that we started, you know, because, yeah. I mean, Tim Newey and blah, 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 but what, you know, you know it's a cool thing when it's going on, but it's also, it was still kind of, even at that time, it, I don't know, it still was a little... I mean, Fugazi played a Gilman, which is small. Right, yeah. When you yeah, think yeah. about Fugazi, that was that's well, a small. Well, they did play. a number of times. Yeah, which is crazy. yeah. Even, even as they got a little bigger, I was mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, went to some packed shows. Mm-hmm. So it was still kind of almost like, kind of like I said before, like it's kind of like the secret, you know? Yeah. That that yeah. like not that many people knew. People kind of knew. Oh yeah, there's some punk club in Berkeley. Blah blah blah. But it wasn't like on a major movie screen or whatever. You know, it, it, it's almost like. I think like with like Green Day blowing up so big and being from the Bay Area and the internet, then it's just like because now everybody knows everything. Right. right. Like right, right. you know, my mom could find out about whoever the right. tiniest hardcore band on earth, you right. know, and know Oof. everything about them. Well, we were in Santa Rosa, yeah. like yeah. literally waiting for the scene report to come <laughs> in the scene. Like that's how we got our news. And yeah. from big comic mm-hmm. will be like, okay, this happened and this band's playing, and we're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's the news. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely, it was always exciting too. I, I think. Um, you know, and I, I feel like in some ways, like, I didn't, like, stop to appreciate the stuff that was going on. Because you just don't have any idea, you know? Like, when it's happening mm-hmm. and you're that young. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you, mm-hmm. not much. I mm-hmm. just turned 48. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's like, it's really hard to kind of, like, when you're that age to slow down enough to say, oh, my gosh, this is, like, really an amazing time in history. Yeah. For this scene. Right. I mean, I think, I think we, I felt like, you know, definitely I'm like, wow, Gilman's cool. You know, I can go to three punk shows a week and I'm really not going to get beat up. Like guaranteed. Like no one's going to kick my ass, you know, or whatever. Or. And you don't need money. You can volunteer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. totally amazing. um, Well, yeah. Something else interesting happened to you when you were, I believe in high school um, that correlates to 
my company, moving into the old KOFY TV 20 studios. <laughs> so I understand you went over there. There's a little thing that if you grew up in the Bay Area, you could not have missed because everybody knows about it mm-hmm. called the Dance Party mm-hmm. um, on KOFY. And uh, I believe you went down there. And likely, if you were in high school, you cut school to do so. No, 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 no. Au contraire. I was, oh. a, good, I was a very good student. Okay. Um, and all my cuts were sanctioned by my parents. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry, high school Sanction teachers. Um, no, so actually they, I, what they did is I think per, it, there would be a day at the dance party where it'd be your high school. Mm. So it was Redwood High School in Corte Madera, which is uh, Gavin Newsom's alma mater as well. Um, this is just like public TV dance party show. So, TV 20 did the, the <laughs> dance party. It's not nobody public. even knows what, what that like television is anymore. It's not, but. it wasn't, it was a broadcast mm-hmm. station. Yeah, and it was live. Yeah, yeah, I think it was broadcast live. So it was at one point. They still do I it. Think I think when, 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 yeah. I, when I was on it, this is foreshad- it. foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it was live. Okay. Yeah. So I think they they might even had a school bus because it was all the way up Marin. We right. all went down there to be on dance party live. And um, because I was punk, again, you can't see the air quotes. Um, I think I even dressed punk or punk dressed more punk, more air quotes. Um, and it was really crowded because everyone was hoop. When you're in high school, like, I get to be on TV. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> so I was standing somewhere. And because probably because I was, again, punk with the air quotes, someone shoved me really hard. I... Fell into about five people, and all of us <laughs> fell over onto the ground. Um, f- then a uh, large man, he was like, hey, come here for a second, and literally grabbed me, threw me out a side door. You'll have to show me the door. Out okay. Some door where there was just nothing, and the door slammed behind me, and that was that was my... That was my TV debut. It was kind of amazing. That's an exit. <laughs> so, it was like, I think I was on there for like less than five minutes. Social Most imp- of the time I was on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Social Imprints just leased the old KFY studios. So mm-hmm. um, we're going to be moving over there. And there's actually like dance party memorabilia around there. That's so awesome. I found a bunch of like old clips that were, clearly mm-hmm. went to like dance party um you know, like items that say dance party, do not remove. And they would like clip onto whatever the, the item was. Interesting. Yeah. And so there's still a little bit of like ribbon hanging from one of the HVAC units in the old studio. And yeah, so it's, uh, and you know, I, I hear more and more as I post that we're moving there, people are telling more and more stories about going on dance party when they were in high school and either cutting school to go on there or their school is going in there. I think you should get some cameras and light it up again. Like I'm thinking about it. I I actually want, I want you to shove me out the door so it can kind of come full circle. (laughs) I can kind of own the experience as an adult. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I can feel not welcome there still. (laughs) talk talk to us a little bit about like how you know i noticed this and you know we talked about this with martin as well it really feels to me like a lot of the people involved in the early gilman maximum rock and roll days were almost like like punk rock workaholics you know like you just had so much going on and it was like if you weren't working at gilman you were working on the radio show or doing something for mr or working at you know mordam doing distribution mm-hmm. um but it was like everybody had like all these gigs they were doing <laughs> and it was like nonstop that's kind of, yeah that's it's funny i just i just uh i just did this thing for a high school class about stuff i did in high school and college to t- help t- uh teach high school kids about employment and i realized when i was in college i was taking a full load of college classes. I was working 24 hours a week and I was doing all the tape reviews for Maximum Rock and Roll and then some other stuff on top of it. I'm like, that's a lot. <laughs> I was that's like, a lot. and I'm like, I don't know. Um, 
Are you still the type of person that that gets a lot done? Are you uh, are you someone that's maybe a workaholic I, now? I would. I'm really trying to avoid that because my dad was one, and so you just... are. If you're trying to avoid it, <laughs> I'm trying to. Avo- um, I work. I work. I think the things I I like to think the things I do I do well, mm-hmm. and you know I do recognize the need for not work. You know, not working sure. and like yeah. you know you have to have time to breathe and relax and. Yeah. You know. Well, no. even though at that age, the age you guys are talking about, like, I definitely did. Like, I still looked at other people doing stuff and went, like, no, I don't want to do a lot of stuff. So this is the I think personality. It, I think it is. It's funny because I've had some conversations with other people. Like, I'm like, yeah. Like, in high school, like, I was in a band and we would, like, do a show on a weeknight. I would leave right after I said, go to sleep, wake up, and then, like, take a math test at 8 a.m., you know, or whatever. And then I told people that and they were like. And that was just my normal. And they were just like, that's so weird. I never did anything in high school except go to the mall and get drunk and try to talk to boys or girls or whatever. So, I mean, it's kind of fun to put effort into something. You know, I mean, all all that stuff, it's like, you know, you put effort into a club and you have your own fucking club. You know, that's kind of amazing. Or like, you know, tape reviews and the most glamorous thing on earth. But it's like, you know, we get to hear a bunch of new cool bands. Right. You know, sometimes people write me, thanks. Not with a computer. I think. They weren't around then, but. You know, as I got older, I saw the value in in the work you put into stuff more and less wanted, like, the shortcuts to things. Mm -hmm. But, um, um, it's. I'm gonna say. I think it's interesting when people talk about being motivated. Like they don't talk about like the the idea that you just have to do stuff when you don't feel like doing stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like the show, like the podcast, yeah, like totally. anything. Like that's the secret to I think being motivated. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I was thinking about what I was gonna say here, and I think one of the things that sort of punk rock taught me the most was like kind of like you can do things. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. with Maxim Rock and Roll and that whole sort of for lack of that whole um, organization being there, it made it a lot easier. I mean, if I was just one kid in some small town in, in Wisconsin, you know, I don't know if I could put on a show by myself or whatever, but I don't know. With with punk rock, one of the things I think I learned was just, like, that you can do stuff. And even if it's, like, a small thing, it's still a thing. And, yeah. and it's like maybe maybe you, you know, Kevin starts doing something you learn about. You're like, hey, yeah, I want to do a magazine too or mm-hmm. whatever or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, start a food bank or whatever it is, you know, and it can turn into a big thing or keep, stay a small thing. Right. And that's fine too, you know. So it's just kind of like. That's true. That's very fascinating because, yeah, we were just like, we'll record our own stuff. We'll get a four track. We'll mm-hmm. make flyers. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll go to Kinko's and make magazines. Right, and, exactly. And, and it's funny because if you talk mm-hmm. to bands that aren't in the punk rock scene like i remember back in the day we were playing everywhere with all our friends all the time mm-hmm. and i would talk to someone that wasn't a punk and they're like how do you guys get shows man like we're trying <laughs> to get shows and we, we submitted our tape to this place and i'm like i don't know we just yeah. we just made a place to play oh. we just like playing garages oh, and do yeah. whatever. we well, played like every tuesday night show for five bucks yeah like always <laughs> Laundry you know? mats, and it I was mean. so fun and it was just like you know, we commuted to do it, so we lost money. Well, there but was, it was yeah, fun. there was years of like whatever, whatever was offered, just take. Yeah, it. yeah. You know, and I think that's the interesting thing you're saying. You know, that infrastructure was sort of there. Tim was just a complete workaholic. I mean, there's no doubt about that. That's the true. Guy, yeah. The guy was like yeah. unrelenting, very driven, driven, driven. Yeah. Yes. And um, but I think it's really interesting that like Gilman's still there thirty years later. Maximum Rock and Roll is still in. It's amazing. Still being published mm-hmm. right. to this day. That they're still doing things that I think are are in line with the original intent, which mm-hmm. is do it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for me, like when I started going to Gilman Street in 1988, I 
I was a senior in high school mm-hmm. and and I noticed that I had a couple friends in Santa Rosa that were doing shows. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I can do that. I'm gonna make some I'm gonna make some shows. I'm gonna do this thing. <laughs> I'm gonna and make I, a show. Well and it's 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 amazing because the bands that I kind of collected as ones that, that I was like their go to for mm. are ones that I really loved. Right. Of so, you know, it was like it was like uh, you know, I did, I got to do a show for the guys in Las Mordidas when they mm-hmm. were playing, you know, uh, and it was a collection of guys from from Discord bands that I absolutely adored, mm-hmm. you know, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, then Tim Green called and, you know, the Youngins were coming mm-hmm. down from Olympia. And then it just grew into this whole thing where like Tiger Trap would call and they mm-hmm. would want to play a show. Mm-hmm. And then it grew into like a veil would call and mm-hmm. they want to play a show, mm-hmm. you know. And then when a veil would play, then all the Gillen bands would call and say, <laughs> Can we get on that show? <laughs> you know? So it and it really kind of turned <laughs> into this like its own like growing sort of, mm-hmm. you know, like thing. Mm-hmm. And it, and it all started with just me, you know, yeah. like let's do a show at our at our recording st- or our practice studio. Yeah, I mean that's like what I was saying. It's like you can do stuff. You know, it's like kind of like you can just kind of organically create something, and it turns like like that it turns yeah. into something like way bigger than you probably expected when you initially thought. You thought, oh, we're just gonna do one show, that'll be fun. Then you're like, oh, that was fun. Let's do another and another, and then it, you know, yeah. so it's growing like the blob. Or well, something. I think one thing too that stuck with me that I'll I'll never forget was playing a show at Gilman Street, and there was a bunch of bands from the Bay area. And then there was one touring band and every band like single band gave all their money from the door to the mm-hmm, touring band. Mm-hmm. And I never forgot that. And so yeah. it didn't matter who was the headliner mm-hmm. when I would do shows, mm-hmm. we would always go 50% to the touring band mm-hmm, and then nice. break it down yeah. be, below yeah. that. And then a lot of times the bands that would open would turn around and give their money to the touring band. Nice. You know, and it just like that kind of like, looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. Cause I know being on tour, number one is not my favorite thing in the world. Um, <laughs> I like being on the road, but I don't like being on the road with, you know, four other dudes <laughs> in a very small van that breaks down a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, and playing shows to like three people, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, but having that as sort of the, like the, um, the starting point from like what I learned from, you know, the, mm-hmm. the people that started Gilman was, it's important stuff, mm-hmm. man. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it plays into what I do even here now in my mm-hmm. life, which mm-hmm. was one of the things I wanted to chat with you about is I found a really strong connection between like growing up punks and things like social service mm-hmm. and uh, casework and therapy and, mm-hmm. you know, doing things for their community, mm-hmm. um, you know, working for nonprofits, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and I know you're in kind of a combination of social social service and job placement, mm-hmm. so you probably act as therapist at times. But <laughs> yeah, you know when you very need to... low level armchair yes. therapists. They actually have real therapists yes. who have like degrees of that. But but more importantly, right, right. you're gi- you're giving people job opportunities mm-hmm. that normally would be skipped over for mm-hmm. job yeah, placements. Yeah. And I'd love to hear about how you ended up there because okay. it's a if I remember right, it's an interesting story, and it's also inspiring to me that. That you know, uh, grown up punk kids are doing stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I ooh, how far back do we want to go? Well, I have a degree in developmental psychology from San Francisco State, um, which I I took it because basically it was the most interesting thing. You know, why do people do the things they do? I mean, that's that's like the whole world. Why? <laughs> Please, that's, that's gonna be a long podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so. You know, that was the most interesting thing for me. So um, when I graduated, um, I'm trying to give you a shorter answer. Um, basically, I started working with people with developmental disabilities, so like autism, Down syndrome, 
et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then sooner or later, I started working for a place that did basically employment development for that population. So if you don't know what that is, it's basically like helping those people find jobs and like contacting employers <clears throat> and like try not to use too much industry lingo. Um, so like finessing, a th like carving out different jobs and like finding, finding things out there in the world that people with disabilities can do, you know, for money pay, sure. you know, so in an integrated setting, not like off somewhere, you know, in some dark where, how do you find those, those opportunities? Um, I mean, do you just like look around? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> look okay. around for yeah. the, well, I mean, there's everything from like, you know, I've been in this industry for a long time, so I know, like, training programs. I know, you know, there's certain employers that are super, super disability-friendly. Um, are the doc... Like, social the... imprints. Right. <laughs> you know, or, like, you know, people from different populations and whatnot. Are the dot-com businesses uh, helpful in this Um <laughs> Not in general. Not in general. Yeah. I mean, a lot, it, if I had people who were, like, coders, yeah. maybe, maybe. But in general, I mean, we, we, I've gotten people, me and people at my job have gotten people like more like in like, oh, they subcontract out their food service. Oh, and right, so, right, right. Oh, they're a chef at blah, 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 whatever, Dropbox or something like that or whatever. So things like that, but not a lot of the people I work with, what they're looking for, they're not looking, some of them are looking for like career oriented mm -hmm. positions, but a lot of them, some of them are like just on the younger side, just like, hey, I just want to whatever, I want to work at Target. Sure. You know, or whatever, like minimum wage, entry level type jobs. Um, but so now, but right now I'm working with people, um, mental health diagnoses, kind of <clears throat> various um, stages of drug and alcohol rehab. Sure. Coming in, a, it, <laughs> um, coming in and out of the prison system, home, mm -hmm. you know, homelessness, just people who are like, on the poor, <laughs> pretty That's poor. So incredible. They, yeah. So they really, I mean, working even like a minimum wage job in San Francisco, which is 15 bucks an hour is like, in, it's like a oh really, my God. really minimum wage was four twenty five for me. <laughs> You're old. <though. laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, and, no. So it's like even a minimum wage job, it's like a huge bump up in like the amount of money they're bringing in. Absolutely. So, so um, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> um, I do it, do it pretty well. Yeah, how do you, say, uh, you, you're good at your job. I, I mean, am. I am. Did you walk up to the job placement opportunity place and they had like a help wanted sign? You grabbed it and on your way in and like tossed it to the guy and you said, "I'm drifting what, through town." How did I get my own job? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah. How do you get into this? this uh, um, I actually well, I started working at a place called Worklink, which is a which actually the woman who is the director of Worklink, Sarah Murphy. Hello, Sarah, if you're listening. She's great, amazing, and she's a she's kind of a big wig in the disability employment um community and major she, player a major player and she trained me she literally like i didn't really know anything about it and she trained the shit out of me in a in a in the best way like so you know people can get jobs that they can do and have dignity and have money and you know improve their life situation oh, and maybe get better apartments so great you know i gotta tell you walter and and kevin <laughs> i just came here for the i just came and here for kevin, the i gotta tell both of you since you both are in a similar position in that like in, in ways you're helping people uh and, and it's also your vocation mm. i cannot relate to that like at all like to the idea that my job is actually like a good thing i've never been in that situation I mean, which, I mean, what am I going to say? Um, I mean, I, it's rad. Kind of going saying. back to the the punk thing is like, 
you could do it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, I'm an intelligent person, but on the other hand, I don't think I have some, you know, incredible, untouchable skill set that no one in the world could mm-hmm. ever even come close to. I don't, you know, I'm not a little whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm not that. Like yeah, You were trained by the best, you said. Trained, <laughs> trained by the best. But I mean, like, if, what I, I think a lot of people could do some of the things that I do. If you're like, hey, you know what? There's a homeless guy who lives down the street from me. I'd really like to help him out. You probably could in some way. Like, hey, you know what? You know, I'll pay you 50 bucks to wash my car every week or whatever. You know, something, you know, that's not really demeaning. Like, I'll pay you a dollar to wash my car every day. (laughs) Don't do that. You know, or like, you know, if you know how to make a resume, you can make someone else a resume. If you can make your own, you can make someone else's. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that, you know, or if you work for a really big, you know, I know people who work for like Apple and Google. I'm like, you have, there's all kinds of stuff you could do. Like, you know, they have a lot of money, you know, get all your coworkers together and be like, hey, we want to have a clothing drive or we want to have a toiletry drive or we want to, how about, how come we don't have an internship program for inner city kids? We donate the six tons of food every exactly. day. Well, they do. It's thrown away. They do do that. Well, do they? Yeah. So they, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's Some a, do, yeah. there's a thing in, there's a system in place for that kind of, if they partake in it. Cool. But I mean, I think you can, again, just to go back to that punk thing is like, you could do, you can, there's stuff you can do, you know? So, well, I, yeah. I too. So interestingly enough, I mean, I had a client approach me, and they're going to do a clothing drive for mm-hmm. part of their part, part of their holiday party this year, and That's we're going to outfit people that Walter works with with mm-hmm. nice clothing to go to interviews mm-hmm. on, and I'm going to store some of it here. They're going to keep some that they can there, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. Like, oh yeah, That's you know, huge. Lo- looking for a purpose mm-hmm. or a, or some kind of mission driven. You know, way to help people isn't really that difficult mm-hmm. given the climate that we're in right yeah. now. Right. I you mean, know? that's huge. Every... You can't look any direction without seeing someone that needs help right now. Right. Exactly. And every single person I work with, like, oh my god, I need clothes. I don't have a collared shirt. Yeah. Like, I don't own a collared shirt, and I can't afford one. Mm-hmm. Even the eleven ninety nine one at Target, because I don't have the money. If I buy that shirt, it means I don't eat for a week. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that's well, the reality. You know, that's the, the reality. The thing is, is it. like this client is is like super excited to do it. That's great. You know, that's great. And it's like. And it's the simplest thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you have these things you're not wearing. Definitely. I got somebody that'll wear them. <laughs> no, definitely. <laughs> but definitely. I, I think being sort of mission-driven <clears throat> comes from, you know, in a lot of ways, for me, it, it came from, from punk rock and what mm-hmm. I learned there. I don't, I, don't, I don't make any bones about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the style or the, 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 the sort of the generation that I'm part of, especially in the Bay Area, that's what was going on. Yeah, you know that's what we did, and right. I think that it's like we all have sort of a choice in how we live that out in our adult lives, and this mm-hmm. is why this is adulting well. Is like, what are you doing today to make your little world a better place mm-hmm. or the world around you? Mm-hmm. You know, and I know the other thing. Obviously, we talk about being adult. You know, as far as relationships and family, mm-hmm. you know, you have a daughter. I do. Who is like <laughs> your favorite person? Um, I I follow you on social media, and the posts She's- are. Amazing. The only person I hang out with. <laughs> yeah. um, so talk a little bit about what it's like being a parent. And she's eight. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, being a parent is not easy. <laughs> As you know, you have you have two. So <laughs> you're my idol. Um, you know, it's a lot of work. It's basically constant work. It's, you know, your kid isn't always going to like you, <laughs> you know, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that. You should, you know, eat, have them eat 
a five gallon bag of sugar or whatever, you know, um, you know, being a parent's amazing. I mean, it's, I don't know how to describe it. Like having a kid is like all of a sudden having this, it's, you know, it's your kid, but it's like having this little side, like a little sidekick, like a little R2 unit. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, it, it, it's really hard for me to describe. So I'm not doing very well right now. Well, you you described her to me because we, Walter and I, our guilty pleasure is messaging each other on Facebook. <laughs> so the old dudes do that too. Yeah. Um. But uh, you know, is the kind of the moral backbone of the family. Oh right? yeah, yeah. You know, my daughter doesn't swear, which is amazing. That is incredible. Yeah. She, yeah. <laughs> She's always like, "Daddy was watching a YouTube video. What? They said the f word." And I was like, "Oh." um you know it's just it's an amazing experience i think having a kid and trying to raise a kid right and um you know especially in the political climate now you know trying to raise a kid to you know be a good quote good person quote unquote and um yeah just be respectful of others and care about other people and don't read the comments don't read the comments yeah um or delete them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, it's a lot of work. And I, by no means, like, I, I do not think I'm, like, the perfect parent by any means. Um, I think it might be weird because I'm, like, I don't really – I am not. I don't really have a lot invested. Like, I don't think my kid really needs to be like me. Like, you know, I'm, like, I don't, I don't think I have it down oh so well that, you know, I'm, like – Oh, she's got, you know, she's going to be hopefully bald, you know, and kind of lumpy in the midsection. It's going to be great. She's going to be in social services. Like, I don't have this whole, like, thing about that, you know, like, I like she has to walk in my footsteps. I'm like, you know, she can be her own person. It's fine. Like, you like, you like, whatever, X, Y, you know, she loves Jojo Siwa. I'm like, go to town with it. You know, I, why not? You know, you don't have to like the things I like or whatever. So, yeah. I don't know. Well, it's yeah. funny because my for a long time my daughter actually did this thing where she's like, "I don't like nowadays music," and she would only listen to like '80s rock and oh, like '80s alt stuff. And that's you from know. you, not really. No. Actually, oh, okay. more oh, from her mom. Oh, okay, and, okay. And um, and then now she's getting into it, like okay. JoJo Siwa yeah, yeah, yeah. and and uh, and um, Taylor Swift, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yeah. like dance music yeah. and. You know, it's kind of, it's just interesting because I, like, there's a part of me that cringes a little bit. Right. But I'm like, oh, God, it's so mainstream. Right. You know? But then it's like, really, but what am I doing? You know, like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I was never the cookie cutter kid, mm. you know, and I certainly gave my parents plenty to be, you know, right, right. <laughs> upset about yeah. <laughs> over the years. <laughs> I think I had a little rougher time in my 20s than most. Right. Um, but um, I, I think that, uh, that, you know, I agree with you. It's, it's hard to explain raising kids. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, I'm really like, it was a little, it was a little different experience um, this time around. I'm like, I'm really falling for my son now mm-hmm. at one. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just amazed by everything he does. <laughs> like, truly, like, I'm like, oh my God, yeah. did you see that? <laughs> you see what he did over there? Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's it's been, uh, but, you know, raising kids is an interesting thing, especially in this day and age. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that some of us have other, you know, sort of um, aspects to it, too. I mean, you know, how, how do you talk to your daughter about race, for example? I mean, I, I think um, it's... it's interesting. Yeah. So, oh, that, well, that's something the, the, the listeners may not know. So my wife is African-American. My daughter is visibly, visibly black. So, um, you know, 
it unfortunately it comes up more in like people who come up to more mainly me and ask me like weird questions about my daughter, even in liberal San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Like people have come up and said, like, where did you get your daughter? Website. Yeah. And, and I'm just like Wow. Yeah. Dark, dark or, or where and when did you get your daughter? And wow. I'm like, Well, I got her when she was born because my wife gave birth to her. And then people are like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry. And you know these What did are, they think though? I don't even understand. I, like, I, I, yeah. exactly. Well I think it was like maybe they <laughs> adopted they or something. Well uh, yeah. They, they expect that one to go down. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kinda like, you know, I'm like, it's <laughs> It's not fine, but I'm like, look, you just fucked up. It's fine. I don't have I don't have to sit around and make you feel good. You know what I mean? I'm right. just like I'm like I got her when my wife gave birth to her, and the woman was like, actually followed me down the street, apologizing profusely, and I'm like, it's fine. Like I'm sorry you feel bad about what you said. It's not really my. I didn't do anything. <laughs> All I did was like walk in the store with my daughter and looked around at like little erasers, you know. Yeah. Um, so it is. You know, my wife does a little bit more of the 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 race talk but you know there there are there was a something that happened we're driving down the street car went by was blasting some hip hop and she said what does the n word mean and we're just like Whew. wow <laughs> you know and it's kind of like a heavy it's a heavy thing for you know a kid to say and i'm like cuz i don't know again well, like old, yeah yeah and it's but you've like, got your wife like she can right be in charge of that right <laughs> i mean I don't want to be all like, hey, it sounds like your department, because that's lame. But, but it's <laughs> also, I don't want to be like the white guy, like, well, let me tell you about race. You right, know, that's because right. that's lame, too. So, you know, my, we both were just kind of like, you know, that's not, as of right now, that's, let's just say it's a bad word. Yeah. You know, and let's, you know, let's, it's not something we really yeah. say at this point. You can't go wrong not using it. Right. <laughs> that's true. That's <laughs> true. I wanted to make sure I was agreeing to this. Yes. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, stuff about race comes up, you know, my, my daughter does notice like, oh yeah, this girl was a brown girl or she's a black girl or she's a, you know, Mm -hmm. she notices race, you know, not in any like, not creating stereotypes about, but just don't care. So yeah, kids, yeah, she doesn't really, she doesn't, you know, she'll be like, so-and-so is bossy, blah, 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 but you know, not really attributing it to like, oh, cause she's. XYZ. Right. Yeah, until you hear someone say it, until you. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly a learned behavior. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, totally. I'm, I'm curious how the rhetoric, though, has impacted, like, your family. I mean, how does your wife feel about the stuff that's going on in the, in the political kind of arena right now? Because it's. I mean, people can try to minimize it all they want, but mm-hmm. I'm going to be blunt. It's fucking ugly. Right. You You're know? talking about Trump, Trump or. Yeah. Yeah, just in general. Mm. I mean, and it's not like. I would have expected us to get a little bit of a break here in the Bay Area, but, I, like, yeah. weird shit's been going on here, too. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. Before this, I was really trying to think of a good, kind of concise way, and it just seems like all the things that you kind of thought, you know, were pretty basic, you know, to even, like, I don't want to say a majority of Americans, like, probably at a certain, at most points in time, you can be like, you know what, the majority of Americans probably think racism is bad. On some level, they might even be, like, hypocritical, they might make some comments there, but in general, they'd be like, yeah, racism is bad. Or, like, you know, women, they should be treated the same as men. Like an emotional maturity minimum Or just, 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 (laughs) even if it's, like, lip service, you'd kind of (laughs) think that, people would do it but now it's just all that's thrown out the window you know now it just seems like oh you know 
it's like, well, what's wrong with a bigot? You know, that that's really what it is. Yeah. It seems like, you know, well, well, so what? That's just the way he, you know, or whatever the justification is. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's really bizarre to see, you know, and, you know, racial instance going on, whatever, in Oakland mm-hmm. or, you know, here in San Francisco. Um, it's just, it's, 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 it's hard to see. It's, it's just kind of, it's almost like reality shifted a few notches in some direction. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, you used to think like, yeah, you know, like. Yeah, people don't want to kill so and so, even if they are racist. Now it's like, no, they kind of do, you know. And maybe, maybe it's a thing that was always there. Maybe they they were a little more underground and not feeling as emboldened. But um, the needles just kind of moved to the right, and so everything moved to the right. Yeah, so, I mean, clearly some things uncorked this bullshit. Yeah, you know, yeah. and you know, maybe it's people are being more honest now with their true feelings. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm just I'm amazed at some of the kind of. I'm never truly shocked anymore, but I'm amazed, especially in the place that I grew up in, that Mm. this has been, like, starting to become an issue in some ways, in ways that it hasn't been, in my opinion, for a long time. Maybe, you know, I'm also not, I'm a white guy, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I don't notice it. Yeah, you probably hear less about it. I'm a lot more aware of it now. Yeah. And I'm a lot more willing to, like, listen and say... Okay, I can see where that may have been, or it was definitely like super, like thoughtless of me yeah. to say or do yeah. something like that. And you know, it's just so interesting because it, you know, for me personally, having kind of like spent a good portion of my adult life from like twenty seven to now, or twenty eight to now, forty you know, years. <laughs> Yeah, why do you work? You're, 20, you're 20, way past retirement 20, age. <laughs> 20, 20 years of my life sober um, and, you know, being involved in recovery groups mm-hmm. and hiring people <laughs> from, you know, all kinds of mm-hmm. varied backgrounds and working in social enterprise. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of like just used to diversity. Mm-hmm. Like we have a super diverse workforce mm-hmm. here and I just assume everyone else is too because it's become such commonplace for me and mm-hmm. I'm so wrong about no. that and it's actually sort of insensitive for me to not notice that that's yeah. not the norm. There's been no. maybe one, one, two max people of color at every dot-com job I've ever had and yeah. it's been in the industry for yeah. 12 years and yeah. quite a few jobs. I believe it. Yeah. I mean, my job is pretty diverse also. Yeah. You know, it's social services so it's a little more diverse in certain ways. Yeah, and I mean, you you kind of get used to it in a good way. You're like, oh, this is cool. There's like, you know, yeah. different people. It's like, it's not that scary. It's like, cool. It's like, oh, cool, you're from India. Oh, wow, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, the, the the whole shift to the right thing is just really, I mean, it's disconcerting. It's, you know, especially the, all the <clears throat> white power guys and proud boys and... I guess I'm going to be commenting now. Um, <laughs> That's I mean, okay. It's Kevin's favorite pastime, <laughs> trust me. I mean, and it's, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. Or just, you don't, you don't, you don't have to be a racist to be an asshole. You could just be an asshole, you yeah, know, right. or whatever, you know, and I don't know. Yeah. Just the sort of like macho, thuggy camaraderie. It's like, yeah, that's not, that's not really that cute either. You, you know, know, even if you're not a racist or whatever, it's like, yeah, that's not that great either, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, well, I just, you know, I think you have a, a very specific insight into this, given your family makeup, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm glad you're willing to talk about it because I think for, for people that, that care about equality and want, um, you know, everyone to be respected for who they are, no mm-hmm. matter what, mm-hmm. um, 
it's become more and more difficult to not get pissed the fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to, <laughs> I try not, as much as it seems like I might be on the internet a lot, I'm really not. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, I think that just like. It's so hard right now. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I always think like, what's for me, like, I shop. <laughs> yeah. And of other stuff, like, I'm like, I, I, I can't really debate pe- with people. No. I don't think, no. like, I won't do it. Maybe if some if a commenter says like, my, "Here's something I changed my mind about something by something, an argument I got on on the internet." I don't know if that's ever happened in the history no, of mankind. No, no. So no. I'm just like, well, "What am I doing?" Though? It's, it's it just puts like, you in a terrible mood. And yeah, like, and I had like, to tell my wife the other night. I said, "I got all serious because like she would read me like funny Trump shit from the mm-hmm. day, like quotes and shit mm-hmm. from him." And I was like, "I got to tell you, like, I do not find that dude amusing anymore, like at mm-hmm. all." Like, mm-hmm. like I immediately get like yeah. angry mm-hmm. and I, and any of those people, I feel like all they really have is the microphone I give them. And now mm-hmm. I'm just like, nah, without the mic, you fuck, you're nothing, you know, you're nothing. Yeah. I have to give myself a break yeah. too. It's just yeah. for your own like self-preservation and sanity. You know, it doesn't mean screw you, you know, whatever. You can go oppress somebody else or whatever. It doesn't mean that, but just for your own like well-being to be mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm not going to listen to that shit today because, you know, <laughs> I might want to have a decent day once in a while. You yeah. know, just for your own self-preservation. Totally. Totally. Um, well, talking about yeah. decent days, too, I mean, so we've, we, you know, we've hung out a couple times. I've mm-hmm. seen you at shows. Mm-hmm. Specifically, though, I saw you at the Alameda Flea Market. Oh, that's right. That's uh, right. Last. I was there by myself, By right? yourself. That's so rare. But you <laughs> you had been record store shopping. Oh, yeah. But, and you true. were buying records there. I was buying records. So what's on your playlist right now? Let's, let's, go, let's go back to some fun stuff here. Okay. Uh, what's on my playlist now? What did I... Um... I mean, you had a bag full of records. So you got <laughs> You're revealing all my secrets. Um, boy. Okay. Um, I was just listening to Lee Morgan, The Sixth Sense, jazz, okay. jazz trumpetist. Um, the, the Clash. I've been oh. on such a, like, this is kind of funny and embarrassing. I never listened to Clash Sandinista until, like, a year ago. Sure. Because I was way too punk. I was yeah. like, and it's a triple album, which is the most unpunk thing ever. So Agreed. I was like, how could it be good? But I bought it. Like a year ago, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. I really, really um, like that. Um, I'm a huge Joe Strummer fan. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of re... Well, him and Mick Jones together. I'm, yes. I didn't love Mick's stuff as much afterwards, but the yeah. fact of the matter is them as a writing combo it's amazing. is pretty much the punk Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like so many great songs. Yeah. Did, I mean, The Clash have so many amazing songs, period. Yeah. You know, like... You don't have to love all of them. You might like different ones. Even if you don't like them, I don't really. I don't. I don't get musical arguments because that's even worse than yeah. that internet <laughs> shit. <laughs> no way, the Ramones' thirteenth album is better. No, I don't complain. That's great. You love it. I don't care. Um, uh, I don't even know what a hip hop. I was listening to Little Brother, kind nice. of like underground North Carolina hip hop group, yeah. just reunited for one night, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, I listen to all kinds of stuff. A lot of I, I won't listen to music with swearing or racial language around my daughter, and we're always oh. together. So that knocks out like NWA. That <laughs> knocks out almost all punk, all rap. You know, um, so I listen to a lot of jazz because there's no vocals. Um, you know, I like old soul stuff. I like funk. You know, I still listen to punk rock stuff. I still listen to hip hop. Um, yeah, yeah, 
Are you ripped? You look ripped. Um, I try to be ripped. <laughs> you look ripped. I can really? see your biceps like oh, you. pouring out of your. I shirt. did go to the gym yesterday. Okay. So <laughs> that was the first time in fifty years. No, no, no. I do. I you know I try to work out. And yeah, healthy, of course. Healthy you feel good. That's strength, man. That's yeah. <laughs> strength. He's curling. He's curling two. He's curling a baby. <laughs> it's, it's, there's a lot of power in that. So. So let's uh, let's let's uh, we're getting close here. We're at fifty mm-hmm. minutes. Um, so let's 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 maybe throw a little. And I, I don't I don't want to call it advice, but just okay. maybe some words of wisdom to the younger punk kids right now. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like you know, I'm definitely not the crusty old guy. Like, oh, you guys have it so easy. No, mm-hmm. you know, but it is easier with the internet to get your band out there and all that stuff. But like, what can people be doing just to be awesome? You know, um, I would say whatever you want within reason. <laughs> I mean, some things I heard about, like there were these punk kids in Oakland doing what was it called? Punks with lunch. Yeah. What's that? We're, we're interviewing the, the yeah, founder of that. That's amazing. They're these She's coming on next week. Punk kids oh, who like, know that, huh? it's like, um, what they make food. They make lunches for homeless people yeah, and they just great. get together and they're like, yeah, we made 50 peanut butter and jelly. Oh, sandwiches. It's like food, not bombs. Yeah, yeah I guess yeah, yeah. ish, you know, yeah, that's awesome. West I mean, Oakland under the, uh, the freeway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Alejandra's coming on. She's going nice. to be our interview on nice. next, this next Monday. Yeah, so. I just kind of heard like someone posted like a picture, an article. I'm like, that's awesome. I mean, I, one thing that I think is really, you know, poverty in America. That's one thing I feel like at my current job, I've really, it's like got a real crash course in. And I mean, like anything you can do to alleviate that, <laughs> you know, or make that incrementally not as agonizing for the people who are suffering. Um, please do, you know, whether it's like, whatever you want to play a benefit show, you want to, again, the punks with lunch people, whatever you can do. What would you say to someone that said the problem with San Francisco and all the homeless people is that we have too many services to help them. Therefore it's attracting all these homeless people here. Uh, and we should shut down those programs and that would actually help. <laughs> um, what would I say? I would <laughs> say... Yeah, there, there are, there is probably some little kernels of truth to that. Like some people do come to San Francisco because we have a lot of social services, which is great. Yeah, you know, Um, I'm happy we have that many agencies. I mean, I work for one of them. So um, if you shut it down, (laughs) I might be homeless. (laughs) Um, um, You just again, the, the, I mean, social services like anything else. Like, there's probably tech companies you might go there and be like, God, this place is like. You know, this place isn't very well managed. Right, or right, or right, like, right. wow, there's a lot of waste here or whatever. Right, right. It's the same for social right. There might be social service agencies that are full of shit and the people don't do a good job. Sure. Which is, Just, that's going to be in any agency. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like you think everyone from works for Google is this amazing, 100% functional, right. money generating machine. No. <laughs> you know, and so. Um, no, 1% of dot coms like make it to Series A. And mm-hmm. that, like, that's a lot of money. That's just flushed down the toilet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say that the, I mean, the, the quote homeless situation in San Francisco, it's really difficult. It's really complicated. I mean, San Francisco, one of the things, San Francisco is a small city and space is like the hottest commodity because mm-hmm. I mean, that's why houses are a million dollars plus, you know, even in areas that aren't you know centrally located or not desirable or whatever. So it's. You know, it's a, it's a it's a rough problem. So it's just basically just we're doing what we can. That's what you say to someone like that. We're doing I the, mean, doing what we can. I mean, I know like the case managers of my job help people find housing. They're like, oh, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. You know, so it's like, 
Right. You know, you know, there are agencies like Mercy Housing, Mayor's Office on Housing. They, they, you know, they do stuff for housing, but like, no one wants to do that because they're not making top dollar. Right. You know, so it's like in the Mission District, you know, they, are they going to build low cost housing and the developer only makes whatever five hundred thousand dollars, or he could sell like market rate com- condos and make like five million dollars? What's he going to do? You know what he's going to do? <laughs> you know, yeah. and it sucks. It sucks. It's you know. Yeah. yeah, it's difficult. Not very community minded, but you know, again, that's the guy's job. So it's it, you know, it's a it's a it's a shitty situation. It is. I mean, yeah, I don't know how it's going to shake down. Thanks. I put you on the spot, but that was no, a great no, that's answer. fine. That's fine. No, it's a uh, it's a it that's is why complicated. I do, that's why I do podcasts. <laughs> you get put on the spot. <laughs> it is complicated, and it's uh, the problem is not getting any better. No, no, it's going to. Worse. But I think it ties back to what you were saying. Like, there's little things that you can do. Mm-hmm. Like, you see somebody mm-hmm. and they're clearly in distress, mm-hmm. and you're going in the store, bring them a bottle of water. Mm-hmm. It's really simple. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I didn't have any other specific questions. I, mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. I think uh, the one of the one of the the things that Joshua and I talked about when we started this podcast is bringing people on that are doing things in their lives that will give others a little bit of inspiration and joy mm-hmm. because it's, it has become sort of a dark time and a lot of people mm-hmm. feel yeah. like they're giving up. You right. Know? And sometimes, you know, I was telling you when we first talked about it, like I, I hear conversations like this and sometimes I get fired up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a, as sort of a, as co-host, we appreciate what you do. Thank you. It's amazing. Thank you. I think uh, it's brave in this world to be raising a child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's also uh, extremely satisfying. Mm. Um, but the work that you do is truly making a difference. And I know you're good at what you do because I ask around. <laughs> I'm nosy. Uh-oh. Um, and I, I'm really excited about this little, our little project and getting some of your, mm-hmm. your, your clients and future clients clothes mm-hmm. so they can do amazing stuff mm-hmm. with their next step in their careers. Mm-hmm. So thanks for coming on. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, come on again sometime, and uh, it'll be in the new studio, so we can show you where you got kicked out. Yeah, I think (laughs) we should do the do return with with Martin and Walter together. You should kick us both out, and then we have a dance party. And then we have a dance party (laughs) (laughs) when we'll watch you outside the window crying (laughs) when we play only the Clash. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Thanks.